Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 449 with Mark Wilson. Going forward is digitally. I, I know for a fact it's digitally because, because people want to be served information that is relevant to their lifestyle, that is relevant to their way of living, that is relevant to their taste buds, if you will, in the restaurant business and the industry. They don't want to, they don't want to waste time with, with information that's not pertinent to their life. Is if I constantly come home to Eric's Bar and Grill and I'm a loyal customer fan of yours, I have a custom mobile app of yours, you have online ordering in it, it's, it's frictionless for me, I know how to use it all, and you see that I come in based on the loyalty program and I constantly buy cheeseburgers, 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 the last thing I want to get from Eric's Bar and Grill is a special on your salads. And, and I, think, I think that targeted messaging and, and understanding the analytics of your customer is, is only going to get better. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mark Wilson. Mark, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? How can you not feel unstoppable, Eric, when you're talking to a guy like you? <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, Mark Wilson is or Mark Wilson owned 14 independent locations of Little Caesar franchises before becoming the president of a group that owned a total of 74 locations. Today, he's the vice president of strate- strategic loyalty sales at Clipper Magazine and Total Loyalty Solutions. And I, I can't wait to dive into your story, but I'm going to kind of set this up a little bit. So, uh, Total Loyalty Solutions. I just want to make sure we take an opportunity to uh, thank my boy Roddy Gibbs, uh, who is works with you, right, Mark? Uh, he was my host in Pittsburgh, so I had a lot of great, amazing, really interviews in Pittsburgh, and I owe that to Roddy. So I want to take this moment to recognize him. And uh, Roddy's actually been at me for uh, about a year now to get Total. Uh, loyalty solutions on the show, but I'm very particular about our, I have this rule where uh, in order to be a guest on the show, you had to been uh, called out or recommended by a past guest mentor. And uh, one of the reasons why I, I finally said, yeah, we should do this Roddy is because I spent a, a week with Roddy and I really got to know him. And uh, if his character and willingness to help me out is a reflection of you in the company, like he's, he's 
entered the circle of trust. So uh, I just want to recognize Roddy into uh, recognize what he did for, for restaurant unstoppable, the podcast to help me out into um, kind of uh, trust my gut on this one to say that you guys are in the circle of trust. And I, I, I really have a strong feeling we're going to get a lot of great advice out of this interview. So with that said, uh, I kind of set it up. Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us, Mark? You know, that's a great way to open up these shows, Eric, because most of the time people don't even realize that they have a, a mantra in their own <laughs> tool of arsenals. And I think I, I've said this to, to everybody through my early days when I was at Firestone Tire and Rubber and then my pizza business days and now in the digital phase of my life that, that he or she, a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, who during the course of the day, the week, the month, the year, hears the most no's in their dialogue and their daily demeanor eventually will be the ones who hears the most yeses mm. dive into that really dive into that how's that resonate to you where's the value there i'm sorry dive into that uh, how does that resonate with you and extract the value there why is that so significant to you you know and, and i think because it just it 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 teaches people that they have to be resilient you know if you're in the restaurant business is is the hardest business to be and we all know that and, and so many people get in the restaurant business and, and their, their biggest concern getting in is they're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them do fail, as we know, from a percentage standpoint. And the folks who get in there and do battle every day, hear people tell them they can't, hear people tell them that, that it's not going to work and still get up every morning, put their pants on and go out and try to grind it out. Those are the ones at the end of the day win. Yeah, it's endurance at the end of the day. And it, like... I mean, there's so many things we can you know, directions we can go from uh, in this with this success quote. I think I'm going to hold off because I feel like a lot of uh, the, the nuggets will come out in the, the interview as we keep going. But uh, where did it all start for you? So how did you break? Like, where did the, the food industry start for you? How did you break into this industry? Uh, I've always been a foodie and it's always putting something into my mouth has always been near and dear to me. So, <laughs> so I've enjoyed that that part of the food business. But I was I was working for some time right out of college. I was in the junior executive program at Firestone Tire and Rubber. And after about nine years of grinding it out, had a good job, good career, um, kind of on my own. They, they, they ran kind of uh, uh, entrepreneurial minded. But the company was bought out by a Japanese company called Bridgestone. And when we were purchased, we were given the opportunity to stay on board as as we knew it. And then knowing that, I guess I not even stay on board as we knew it, but we were able to stay on board with some changes, if you will, based on our compensation program. And I took a good hard look at what my opportunity was going to be in the next three to five years and didn't like what I saw. Okay. My younger brother, and all of us know about partners and brothers and families, but that's probably later on in the show. But anyways, uh, was, was out of college as well, ex-football player. Him and a buddy of mine were in the pizza business, and they started four local pizza stores in Michigan called Pepperoni Pete's. And they were competing with all the big guys, the pizza or the, uh, the Domino's world headquarters, little Caesars world headquarters and any other how hungry Howie's everybody in the mother was in Detroit making pizza. And these guys were actually, my brother and his partner were pretty successful. And I was looking at doing something and he's like, Hey, why don't we get into the pizza business together? We've got something going on pretty good here. And I started to think about it and said, you know what? Pizza is no different than any other business. It's a service business. You get a product and a service. You got employees. So business was business is business to me. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter what it was. So I, I wanted to, 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 to take my walking papers from Firestone and make the best investment as possible. 
and we had some family friends who bought into Little Caesars franchise early on in in the in the mid eighties, and we started to look at options in the franchise sector just because of the brand, the brand recognition, what it gets you in a community, and and opposed to being on your own and trying to build a brand, and the time and energy it takes to create that awareness is is astronomical when when you look at the the time it takes to, to put up a flag from a franchise and the brand recognition that it brings to a community at that time so we started looking at a couple different options and we ended up uh settling with uh, with a little caesars group i was from detroit michigan and had to uh find a place that i could financially move to and then commit to open four stores in in two years and lo and behold, the only place that I could get my wife back to back to Michigan was uh, Central Pennsylvania in Harrisburg. Uh, probably the biggest culture shock we ever had was taking the the leap of faith and and loading the house up into a U-Haul and moving across from the Midwest to to the East Coast and uh, started our first store out there. So I have a quick question before we move forward. Uh, you were looking at different. Uh, franchises to join what was it about the little caesars franchise that made you go with that model at the time they were they were growing pretty rapidly um and and they had a brand that that had the quality that we were looking for you know i wasn't looking to get into a business that wasn't homemade that didn't do make their own dough daily grind their own cheese daily make their own sauce daily even though it was a brand they still had some of the old school traditions which made them really special, and to this day they still have they have a, they have a great product on the streets. So, so that's really what it was, and there was opportunity for growth. And a lot of the other ones, there wasn't. Okay, so be specific. What kind of growth are you just talking about? Like physical? Uh, you said four stores in two years, that type of growth, or yeah, the 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 whole you know my whole thought process after getting out of the car business or the tire business was you know we wanted to have multiple locations mm-hmm. and live the dream of the big entrepreneur have a bunch of stores and a bunch of areas and you know life gets good and happy and revenue comes in and profits come in and your cash flow is very good um but basically it was the opportunity to move to a geographical area and be able to build your own dma out theoretically that's what it was so so you're looking at opening an area where you can control the marketing and all the aspects of it and then start splitting the expenses of the marketing across multiple locations the efficiencies of the brand get they, they really work in the favor of the, of the franchisee at that time. Okay, cool. Uh, you said you wanted to build your, the, your own uh, DMAs. What's DMA? The DMAs are your your demographical, your marketing okay. arena, if you will. So they're 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 cognizant of a geographical area where a DMA is comprised of an area that is suited by a TV station, a radio station, a newspaper, something like that. And you can get the efficiencies of, of splitting one piece of marketing amongst multiple stores that it affects or attaches or ta- or, or reaches theoretically. Okay. So uh, the other thing you said that really stuck out to me too was that they the, the cool thing about the Little Caesars franchise was that that it uh, the benefits were in favor of the franchisee. So aside from the DMAs, what other were the what other benefits were there that really appealed to you? It's a curveball. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> at the time was still the entrepreneurial flair, the entrepreneurial spirit they gave you to go in every day, open your store, run your store, use your own judgment on your marketing dollars, make your investments wisely, open open stores according to their plans and blueprints, and and having the power of that behind you when it was that 
but having the ability to still, even though you're a franchisee of, of a big corporation, still ran it like an entrepreneurial spirit. Got you. Cool. Thanks for getting into detail on that. I appreciate it. So you get out to the west, the west sorry, the east coast. Uh, where were you on the east coast? Curious. We uh, we settled in an area called Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is okay. the capital of Pennsylvania, yeah. just just north of Baltimore, west of Philly. So I'm curious, uh, when you opened uh, your first location, uh, you had mentioned that like the restaurant business is just like any other business. Did you still feel that way once you opened the first location? Or what, were you surprised by anything? What was that first location like? The first location was great. I mean, from a sales standpoint, we rocked. Um, volumes were through the roof. Uh, the business, I think what I was referring to on that, Eric, is, is business is business is business. Whether you're making pizzas whether you're working for a hospital, at the end of the day, everybody's looking at revenue, bottom line, cost, labor, anything mm-hmm. that, that that affects that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of where I was going with business. Oh, the same just doesn't matter if you're rolling dough or you're working at a bank. It's all the same business is business. Got you. So uh, what was it about this location that you think you did well uh, that made it really rock? Was it just the brand of Little Caesars or what did you add to the, the mix? Clearly, the brand was carried a ton of weight because of the excitement of the, of the pre-grand opening, the pre-grand opening dollars we spent to market the store. We were the first co- one of the first stores out on the East Coast that was opening up that was out of mainstream. We were benefiting greatly at the time, which we really didn't realize it, but we were benefiting greatly from the time. If you all remember the uh, the Pizza Pizza TV commercials yeah. were out there, two pizzas, one great low price, and... Um, what was cool is 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 there was all that hype on national television before we got to town, which even which which even magnified our opening mm-hmm. efforts and our our success for our store one, which propelled us really. That's what propelled us into being able to open seven consecutive stores, almost two a year for the next couple oh, wow. of years. So, what was the biggest challenge in opening seven consecutive stores in two years that you had to face in that time? You know, I think I think no different than it is today uh, because I speak with the restaurant industry all the time. Um, people, 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 and that's really the the, the, the biggest holdback in, in any quick growth. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, but but it's the people aspect of the business, which is is that third partner that like people don't like to admit, but that's really what it is. And I think that that's that was the that's the biggest hindrance to getting things open is just not being able to 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 get the staffing in place that you need or you want to be able to service your customers at the levels you want to service your customers at because knowing you have multiple locations, it's very hard to be in every store at the same time. So what's the secret to uh, dampening that blow of not being able to be in all these places at different times? Like how do you combat that? You know, we, my brother and I were in this together. We, we made it a point that, that, you know, six days a week, at least we were at a store, if not multiple stores during the course of the day, and it, it was it was it was not just being in the store with a suit and tie on. It was being in the store with our with our logoed shirts on and and rolling up our sleeves and putting up our aprons and doing dinner, doing lunch, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So, so we had that work ethic, and I think we hired people that that we instilled that same type of work work ethic that we knew that we walked out the door. Nobody could say these guys don't 
roll up their sleeves and get dirty with us every single day yeah. of the week. And that, that never left us. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to work harder for your business than you do. So if you want people to work hard for your business, you got to set that, that tone. You got to set that standard because nobody will ever surpass you. There's no reason to. Uh, so good point. Um, all right. So eventually you go from a total of, uh, 14 locations, uh, as your own independent operator under the, the franchise model. Uh, but then you move on to become the president of a larger group and you get to 74. So what did that transition look like? You know, we, 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 my brother and I, we had, we had eight stores in central Pennsylvania and we acquired four more in, uh, Southern Pennsylvania down in the York area in Gettysburg. And that was our home base. It was 12. And I apologize if there was a miscommunication on the 14, but no, it was 12 that. we had as a family unit. And I had made some relationships with some other guys at, at the corporate level and some other franchisees. And we were, we were, we were contemplating expanding and looking to, to, to buy blocks of stores up from successful little Caesars franchisees that were out there that, that had either didn't have family that wanted to be involved or had, had already run their, their, their made their good run at the, the franchise and were ready to sell out. So we formed a, an LLC, a couple LLCs, and, and dropped into some areas and just started to acquire blocks of stores until at one point with, with the partnership group, we had about 74 stores in five different states running. So I just want to make sure I understand. So you, you created a, the business entity, the LLC, and what you did is you went to other franchisees or people in the franchise model and you were asking them to join your team and you were combining forces. Is that the approach you took? Um, it was, we weren't combining. We we're just purchasing. Oh, okay. Um, so they were selling their locations to you and you were just absorbing other little Caesars franchises and growing your footprint. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, what's the secret to doing that success successfully? Timing. <laughs> okay. Everything's timing. Can you give us an example? You know, well, it's, it's, it's timing the, 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 any, any it's, uh, you know, when somebody's ready to sell and you're in the right position, it, it's, it's all how, I mean, that's all how these deals go down is you just have to know who's ready to sell when they're ready to sell. Does it work in your geography? Does it work with your operations department? And then, and then you can identify how you want to grow a market out. You know, it's, 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 it's easy to be in, in central Pennsylvania, and acquire four stores in York because they're in a contiguous market. So it, it makes the operations and everything else smooth and seamlessly. But from, from going in, there was no hostile takeovers. There was nothing like that. It was very straightforward. You know, so somebody knew somebody that might be interested if the, if the deal was right. And that's how you make them. Okay. So these people that you were purchasing from, uh, do you think that they were, this was uh, an exit strategy for them. Were they wanting to get out and you're capitalizing on that desperate? Like maybe I, I've noticed a lot of time talking to uh, my guests on the show where they wait for somebody who's in the industry with an independent operation and they realize how tough it is. And they, they seize those opportunities to be an exit strategy and you can get turnkey operations at a really low costs. Was it something similar going on here with the people that were trying to get out of the, the little Caesars franchise? No, they, it, it was a solid franchise community. So no, there was not a ton of, of, of fire sales going on or anything like that. The people were people were were looking at their lifestyles, looking at what they'd accomplished up to that point, looking at what they wanted to do in the next phase of their life. If they didn't have a lot of family members involved, um, it was it just became a lot of instances. It's just the right thing for me to do, just like it was when I got out. Okay, so it was more of an angle of they built something, uh, they created something of value, and they were capitalizing on that value they created by selling it to you. 
I would I would say that was probably in more cases than not. Yeah, I mean, there there was there was nobody. At least in the deals that we were doing, there there was there was there was no tension in amongst the deals. So everybody okay. won. Cool. Um, so biggest lessons from this time growing, uh, going from you know the the a few locations to twelve, then from twelve to seventy four. What are the big lessons about uh, business that you you drew from this experience in your life? That that it really turns into a business. Uh, you're, 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 you you've got to take the mentality, even though it's really hard to do, and it was for me. That, that you can't jump in a car and you can't go to a store because the manager called in sick. It's it's hard to do that when you have multiple locations of multiple units and you have to you have to really depend on your directors and your operations management team, your store ops teams to produce at the levels that you want them to produce at. And, and I think that is probably one of the hardest things from an entrepreneurial standpoint to go from small to big um, is to make sure that, that you have a successful team with you that, that you can hit those bumps in the road and everybody knows what it feels like to hit the bump and, and life goes on. So in your opinion, what's the secret to getting those directors and, pl- or I guess building up these directors, how did you get those people to the place where you could depend on them? You know, a lot of it was, was bred right in house that, that, that team leaders and, and, and stores went on to be assistant managers, to be store managers, to, to have an enact for the industry. And as we all know it in the business, I mean, there's people that get the industry and there's people that don't. There's people that like to get up at three in the afternoon and go to work till two in the morning. And there's people that don't. And when you get those diamonds in your organization, you have to coddle them and take yes. care of them because they're the ones that really row the boat for the organization yes. as it goes through. So, so not, not all of the time was this, you know, these anybody that was in the, the organization that had, had some real high caliber attributes. Not always did they come from inside, but but some of the folks I hired had tons of experience in the same industry, just doing it with somebody else. Okay, I love what you're giving us right now, and it's something that comes up often on the show. I I, I truly think the the secret to scaling in this industry is a matter of just growing your people first and then providing opportunity to those people because if they don't if you don't give them the opportunity they're going to find the opportunity someplace else and it's all about the people like we talked about earlier um great stuff so all right so eventually you you get out of the little caesars franchise model uh what happened there why'd you get out like i said earlier on i i I, it probably never dawned on me that i was a workaholic um i was having children and i was it was was my wife was carrying the load of, of the house, the mother, the father, and I was gone, you know, 14, 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week. And I really wasn't doing justice to my family life. And it didn't really come down to money at the time. It came down to this is my life and is this the way it's going to be? And this is how I'm going to treat my wife and three kids. And it wasn't the picture I wanted to paint for myself and my family. So, you know, we just took a hard look at it and I had the opportunity to uh, sell back some of my interest in a couple of the, the, the LLCs to my partners. And it was able to come back to central Pennsylvania after living in the Midwest um, and run our family business out here for a couple more years. And then I actually started to sell those stores off. Uh, my brother was my partner in this business and uh, and PA. <clears throat> and... Um, he wanted to get under one roof. I mean, he wanted to be in a restaurant business, but he wanted to get under one roof. So 
we put an exit strategy for him and he moved back to the Midwest and opened a, a uh, full service Italian restaurant. And I stayed out here and just kind of liquidated my business and sold as, as I found buyers. And uh, then literally, <laughs> Eric, I just took a couple years and just hung out. Which and, was well deserved. <laughs> I can imagine. Like, uh, I had to get reacquainted with my children and my wife and do all the things that I wasn't doing as a, as a dad, which I wanted to do. And it like, it didn't, like I say, it didn't ever became a money thing. It was like, I, this is the right thing for me and the right time to get out. That was it. So I have a note here that says, uh, one of the reasons you left was, uh, you weren't comfortable with the direction it was going. Was this the direction of your own life or the direction of the, the franchise model? No, it was my, it was, I think, I think it was more my, my own life. I mean, I didn't believe that you could be successful unless you worked your tail off that 100-hour-a-week work ethic, and it just wasn't the right thing for me. Mm. I didn't like the direction that I was going in, and it was very straightforward, and there there was no hostility, animosity, or anything like that. So when you say you couldn't be successful uh, unless you're working 100-hour work week, was that under the current business model you're at, uh, or is that just, um, I guess, does that apply to just restaurant only? Do you still feel that way, or am I misreading what you said? No, no, no. I, 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 that's me. That's not, that's, that, that's not, I wouldn't say that's the normal. I think yeah. any entrepreneur that's out there, that's crazy in their mind over what they do for a living. They just get, they get, they get overcome and overwhelmed with it. And, and I was young and aggressive and, and I was, I was just grinding it out. And I'm like, I just don't want to do this the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Not that. I'm not doing it today. I'm still working <laughs> three hours a week and I, I love it. It's just a different kind of work. And, and I did rejuvenate myself and did a lot of things with my family that I was glad I was able to do. Nice. So, okay. Uh, eventually, so you took this time to be with family, to, to get to know your family, to spend that quality time with them. Uh, and now you're back at the grind. Like you said, uh, what happened? Like, how did you get back into the grind? Like, what did that look like? What time period are we in now, by the way? So this is the, this is towards the uh, beginning of 2000, no, 2002, three, something like that. 2002. I uh, I did business with a marketing company called Clipper Magazine out on the East Coast, and they were a direct mail company, four color, high gloss. Um, put it right in the mailboxes of the houses, and I, I was fortunate to become uh, mutual business friends with the founders of the company. And they were growing their business at the time, and they came to Central Pennsylvania with this product. Said, "You want to buy it?" I said, "I'd love it." as long as I can have the covers, that's all I cared about. And anybody that's listened to this and any of the Clipper or the Mint or Savvy Markets out there know exactly what I'm talking about. But getting the cover position and being in somebody's mailbox and, and able to have them look at you as their first their first thing out of the box, yeah. it really creates some, some serious opportunities from a revenue standpoint. Okay. So I was with these guys and we were doing business together and I was buying a lot of advertising from them. And we became, like I say, somewhat friends through the years. And they had uh, found out that I was was semi-retired, if you will, for a couple of years, even though I, I, I was acting like I was working and I really wasn't. But um, it invited me down to their office complex just to have a conversation and catch up over old times and see what was going on. And believe it or not, I went down for lunch and I stayed for dinner and I was there late nights in the evening and my buddy that, that owned the company was like, Mark, why don't you just come and work with us? And I, and I really was struggling with it because it, you know, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit and didn't want to work for a company environment. And I, you know, I expressed all my concerns like, Hey, I really only work for myself. I never had to work for anybody, account to anybody. 
not that that's right or wrong. It just, it, it, it bothered me to have to say, I have to be accountable to somebody when I really never was. Um, and these guys were just great entrepreneurial guys themselves built a multi-million dollar business. And you know, it's like, Hey, we're the same way. You know, we just need a bunch of good people around us. And I started scratching my head saying, you know what? Business is business. Is business. <laughs> what goes around full circle. And you know, I got my buddy who's the CEO of the company and says, look at we're in the same business. We just need good people around us, and it may be worth your while in the long run. And here we are, probably ten projects later. And so you're still working with the same guys. I'm still working with the same company. The guys, fortunately for them, they 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 sold their company a couple of years back and and uh, stayed working in the organization for a while, and then they uh, kind of retired. Okay. A couple of years back. So exactly, what were you in the business of with Clipper? It's it's, it's a magazine. Uh, what were you? Are we selling ad space? Is that kind of where you specialized here? Uh, Clipper Magazine's core business at the time was, and still is, Clipper Magazine's, is four-color high-gloss print. Okay. Um, I definitely had my experiences with that on the streets, literally just getting in my car, driving around town, open up doors of local entrepreneurs, tons of restaurants, pizzerias, bars, clubs. It didn't matter. Just talking to them about the opportunities that they, that they need opportunities to market their business. And really what happened was I, I was cutting my teeth again for the second or third career, learning the business from the street up. And then we started as a company giving some some thoughts to looking at different verticals or different avenues as the times were changing. Digital was starting to become a, a, a common everyday dialogue. And we started as a company looking at some things to do at the time. And we started thinking about loyalty in early 2002 and we came up with this idea that since we're seeing so many small independent businesses every day our forte was working with the 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 local independent businesses as one of the biggest things that we felt that that they had a need for was a loyalty and or retention rand or re-engagement tool and and what better thing to do at that time was start an email program Mm -hmm. And Eric, this is at the time where where probably you don't remember, but most people treated email addresses like they were gold and they didn't want to give them out to anybody. <laughs> yeah. and, and knowing the power that email had as from a communication tool, we started to craft out a, a loyalty program that, that we could take literally nationwide and sell to any small, mid-sized business. Say, all you got to do is capture the email addresses of the folks coming in, maybe a birthday, maybe an anniversary. If you're a restaurant, we can kind of drop them little notes and get people to potentially come into your places more often and spend more money. Um, all you got to do is get their email address. So so that was when I say that, I say it because at the time, that was the hardest part about the loyalty. Everybody liked the idea of sending emails. They liked the idea about getting people to come back and spend more money. But there was a big negative connotation that people wouldn't give out email addresses. Mm. And we all know where that's morphed into today yeah. as that's, that's the normal vehicle for communication. But that's how we got into the email business back then as a tool to provide to our merchants to help them benefit from, from any of their media buys, whether it was print, billboard, television, whatever. Once you drove somebody into the front door of a business, what vehicle are you using to bring these people back when you want to bring them back on the terms and conditions you want you want to bring them in on a Monday night when nobody's sitting at the bar and give them all you can eat wings and yings beer if you want for 10 bucks. How are you going to do it? Get their email yeah. address and we'll send them a message. So I'm curious, uh, since 2002, how have you, how have you seen this uh, 
I guess this this uh, email marketing, direct marketing. How have you seen that evolve? How is it different today than it was back then? It's common communication today. I mean, we all know that from where it was back in when it was getting started. Um, the, like I say, that the, the educational process, talking to, to, to local entrepreneurs on the street, was was in a lot of cases people get up every day, they go grind it out at their own business. Some people didn't even have an email address at the time. We still understood the power of it and understood that 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 group that comes into your business, whether it's a salon, a spa, bar, restaurant, doesn't matter. There's a handful of people that really enjoy the relationship that that they have with their their local business people and have no problem giving up an email address. And what's happened is it's evolved now to where consumers, I'm, I'm convinced consumers, because we get the reports from from the open rate to the read rate to the click-through rate, um, and, and even depending on how they're redeeming some of the call-to-actions, if there happens to be a call-to-action in there, Eric, and, and their messaging, you know, we can see ticket average. So so we know that the medium has, has come full circle, if you will, mm-hmm. well, from its early days where people didn't want to give out email addresses to now. It's if I don't give out my email address, I may miss something. Mm. So what, when you look at the restaurants that are using direct marketing and doing it well versus those who aren't really doing it well, what do you think the, the restaurants doing it well are doing that we should know about? They're understanding their customers. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That, that is the biggest buzz right now is, is understanding customers. And, and I've always said it, you know, we, we all know McDonald's. We all know McDonald's is a big real estate company. But at the end of the day, McDonald's does a lot of things right, even though people may or may not like their product. But they do a lot of things right. And one of the things that they've taught me, and they probably taught a lot of marketers out there over the years, is is do what the customers want. Mm-hmm. Give the customers what the customer not wants, not what you think they want. And you have to get under the cover sometime to find out what that is. Or you got to peel back the onion sometimes to find out what that is. Mm-hmm. Um so hopefully, I think, does that answer your question fully? Yeah, but give me, a, give me an example of how we would peel back the onion to, to get after what that is. Like, can you be specific? That's a good, you know, I guess you got to look at it different cases and points. But, um, you know, you, you, you can go to any town USA and see the established restaurants that have been there for two and three generations. And they've created a business model that nothing has really changed. And it's been able to sustain the, the, the time with, with generations, if you will, whether it's the local Italian place or the pizza guy, the Greek guy, whatever the case may be. And then there's the other, the group of, of young entrepreneurs or, or, or new business owners that are out there that are putting up products and, and supply and services to, 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 to consumers based on what they think the consumers are wanting. And they're not reacting based on what's happening in their business. Mm. So, so looking at the data and drawing on like the behavior that what's actually happening and leaning into those trends. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what makes you go to joint a and not go to joint B when joint a and B theoretically on the surface have the same thing. And there's always something that's underlying on there that, that, uh, that, that in today's environment that the, 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 the entrepreneur, the business owner who knows what their customers wants are the ones that are successful. That's why you talk about menu engineering. You talk about, Looking at like items that are moving on menus across the country, you you look at you look at what a successful business is doing quarter by quarter, changing up their menu items to keep things fresh and new and innovative, and and I and I and they get that, and a lot of times that that most of the times they can get a lot of the pertinent information based on the messages they're sending out digitally and tracking the responses to the call to actions 
as to how the consumers are reacting high or low uh, from a frequency standpoint, from a, from a volume standpoint, from a redemption standpoint. So, so when I say that, Eric, I mean, if I put a message out there that I want to highlight a particular item and it's a great call to action if, if, and I have no response, I can't keep hitting that, that same yeah. log against the tree. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of merchants do because they just, they're not paying attention to what they're seeing. If you have the statistics, if you're able to track activities digitally or electronically, you're able to react a hell of a lot quicker. Okay. Well, this is a good breaking point right here uh, to, to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. And I can't wait to kind of ask the questions. I have lots and loaded for you. So it's going to be good. We'll be right back. Payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurant? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. All right, we're back. So uh, the direction I want to take the conversation is uh, kind of how uh, Total Loyalty Solutions has uh, evolved to meet consumer demands and consumer needs. So how has uh, the market evolved and how have you evolved your platform to serve this this market of this niche of small to mid-sized restaurants and what did they need at this time as you're evolving? Well, you know, we evolved our business and our offerings based on what the industry was telling us, especially the small and mid-sized folks. We understood that there was there was a real disconnect in what the big guys were doing and then what the little guys had available for them. 
Um, there's tons of companies out there that small businesses can rely on for email campaigns, marketing. There's tons of business out there that they can get involved with for online ordering. And what happened was we started to look at some of the next gen with some of the things that were coming out next. And you're, you know, four or five years ago, the hottest thing going were custom mobile apps. Everybody had an iPhone, everybody had a smartphone, everyone had an app. Um, you know, we spent a lot of, uh, time over the years at the NRA show in Chicago and just talking to entrepreneurs and, you know, what are they looking for? And, and it was, we always heard the same thing is everybody wanted to have what the big guys have, but nobody could afford it because it was so expensive. Um, and so we started to try to, to build packages that would, would be able to give the small and mid-sized business owner the opportunity to compete at the big guys level on a, on a price point that, that they could afford. And there was a favorable ROI for them and everything could potentially be tracked. And uh, we started to look at ways to, to, to take email to the next level. What was taking, what was the next level, if you will, or, or the progression. And like I say, at that time, doing, doing menus for merchants and, and mailing menus for merchants, all of the things that they were telling us that they wanted, we had available to them. But from a digital standpoint, um, our, our, our growth took the turn of, we wanted to get into custom mobile app business, build apps for merchants that were, were somewhat custom, had all the bells and the whistles and the features of all the big guys, but gave them a place in the Apple and Google Play Store where they could compete as long as they had found a way to market their their digital platform. With that technology, which was really cool, and, and I and I use this and just about any time I talk to any any entrepreneurs, especially in the restaurant business, are what are you guys able to do on a Monday Tuesday night? If you're on the East Coast or the Midwest and there's a snowstorm outside, but you got a full staff in here, you got waiters, waitresses, your cooks are cooking. And what are you able to do basically instantaneously to drive traffic into your restaurant at a time when a lot of people aren't even thinking about you? And really, there, there's no real way to do that until the enclave of, of, of the app started to surface. And then realizing some of that technology that can be built on those apps was what's called push messaging, as, as you probably are aware mm-hmm. of, Eric. And push messagings, to me, are one of the most powerful tools that a merchant can use today at whatever level they're, they're participating in it or whoever they're buying it from, is to get their customers that are coming through their place of business to download a custom app that they've had built for them with the ability to give them their phone number and let them be able to send a push message back to them to, to remind them of a special or something's happening that they might have not known about or they got a new menu item or they have something that they have season, from a seasonality standpoint but ways that they can instantaneously engage with their customer base to get the customers to react and transact. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times that, that where, where I really like this, and when I say transact, I think that's the most important part from an entrepreneurial standpoint or a small business standpoint is most small business owners don't want to give away the house. They don't, they don't have any desire to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to discount. Their food is already at a reasonable price. We, we, we all feel the same way. And, and most of us thoroughly enjoy some type of, of, of an offer, if you will, to enhance a purchase. But at the end of the day, if I get a message via my phone from a restaurant or a business that I'm familiar with and I have a passion for it, and it's just letting me know that there's something new or exciting going on, it gives me the ability to go in and spend some money on the merchant's behalf when I normally may have not done that. And that's why I say the merchant's able to drive their messaging to say, you know what, this is what I want you to come in. And if, if I want you to come in at this time and it's worth a compelling offer, I'm going to do it. 
But if it's not, I just want to remind you that tonight we've got our deck open and we've got music starting at 9 o'clock. And that is on the merchant's time. And the merchant can drive traffic however they see fit. And so, so it doesn't necessarily always have to be a deal to drive traffic. You have to be top of mind. Things are moving so fast today in everybody's world. And we all know that you can't go into any place of business and not see 95% of the people that are in that place of business with their heads down looking at their phones. Mm-hmm. So what other better way to get to them? Yeah. So reflecting back, you said four years ago, ago around 2014 is when the, the big buzz was to push towards these apps. And I'm curious, uh, from that time where this is where the, the market was moving, is there data to support uh, that that this is the way indeed that we should, we wanted to, the direction we want to go in is to get in the, to get an app, a personal app for our business. Is that, is that backed up with the data? I, well, I think the data, because it's digital and everything's trackable on a digital platform, it is, it is definitely a viable option for any small to mid-sized business to have if they use the tool to the best of its capabilities. It's only as good as the user uses it. And I mean, that's, that's simple. You, you know, you can take a horse to water, you can't make him drink. And that's how this works. So any technology that you engage in, anything that you want to try to roll out in your establishment has to be completely endorsed by the entire organization to make it successful. Mm-hmm. And those, those restaurants that do engage that, and you can look at your big brands. I'm sure anybody on this call that's sat in a, in, in one of the branded uh, big steakhouses, for example, I had a dinner meeting at one down to Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, and I was blown away by the amount of time that the, the host that sat us at our table spent with us on, on their new app platform that they had to download their app. We would get our meals logged in, start re- earning reward points based on our dollars spent that evening, get a free steak dinner on your birthday, and there, there, there was clear direction from senior management all the way down to the to the to the hostess who sat you at the table that they were striving to get as many people to interact into their app platform as they could knowing that it had the ability to drive traffic at later dates so what's the in your opinion the best way to get that that your our guest initially signed up because it sounds like the, the biggest hurdle is getting them to get initially signed up so what is your advice for making that happen i mean educating our, our team so they know how to to pitch the, the the app which is kind of what you just suggested what else well it's 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 like everything else out there content is king if you will and if you have a digital platform that is chocked full of good content that makes the user experience enjoyable, exciting. Um, and, and you can key in on a couple key elements of, of, of a digital platform that would get the consumer engaging in it, not just to download it because you give them a $5 off coupon. If they download your app with no, there's no real intrinsic value to the app once they do that. But if you have rewards program, punch card programs, dollar value uh, programs, um, if you have games for the kids to play where you're having a dining experience, um, if you have a, a tons of events going on in your establishment and you, you use it for the calendar feature and you're, and, you're, and you're able to send messages out based on the events that you're having and the user, the consumer, is experienced with your app is favorable, they love it. They're, they're, the reason I would download an app for a merchant could be for any of those. I, I may want it for the rewards. I may want it because I just want my birthday program. I may want it because I want to know when you have all you can eat oysters on the half shell. And I'm going to get a message sent to me when you do have that. So, so everybody has their own need, but I think that's what, 
what's evolved total loyalty to the to, to, to where we're rolling today is what was that next big move and as i said earlier on digital's flying i mean things fly overnight they change so fast and the hottest thing going now as we all know it is online ordering everybody wants to be in the space everybody's talking about the space the way families are are, are living and how lives are being lived right now everything's done on the fly so so online ordering was it was was our next entree into making the user experience inside our app with our merchants especially restaurants that had online ordering it became very easy for somebody to open up their phone click on their favorite restaurant place an order right inside their app through their online ordering platform pick it up on the way home so so those these type of things when it comes to content in the app are really what makes the the end user want to use it if it makes our lives easier we want it if it makes our life simpler, we want it. If we don't have to talk to people, we want it. If we love ordering to go, we 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 want it. Mm-hmm. So not everybody's going to use it, and 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 that's fine. I mean, not not everybody uses any every median out there. That's why merchants have to to you know they have to look at the mediums and the audience that they're trying to attract and find out where they're spending their time, and that's where they have to be. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing, the way I like to think of it is uh, what makes an effective loyalty program or, or an app is allowing for a path of least resistance. Whenever there's a path to least resistance and you can increase convenience in time uh, and just provide that service and make it so easy that it's like, why wouldn't I use this? I want to, I want this, I want this convenience in my life because why would I go to the website and then go through all these things where I just open up the app on my phone? It's easier. Uh, is that a safe assumption to make a safe statement to make? Absolutely. Cool. Um, so right now you said the big thing that's happening is online ordering. So what are the key, in your opinion, what are the key elements that m- compose of a good online ordering platform? Well, like you just said a minute ago, Eric, the biggest thing that, that you have to look for, because because every company out there that's, that's in the digital space, uh, point of sale systems, everybody has a platform theoretically, or they say they do. What what small mid sized business have to look at is what's the ease of operation? Where where's there any path to resistance from the consumer standpoint? Is it an easy transaction? Is it easy checkout? Is are the images beautiful and mouth watering so that we increase the average ticket spend when somebody's doing an online ordering opposed to the rushed phone ordering when they call in a restaurant? And make sure that you have all those elements in that in, in your online platform. Everybody thinks that that having online ordering and integrated in your point of sale is the is the best way to success. And in a lot of cases, it, it is. From an operation standpoint, it's a little more it's seamless, if you will. There's there's some real costs that are related to that when people start to look into it. And then the real the real thing is is again, people. There's a group of people that spend a ton of time on Facebook. There's people that spend a ton of time on Twitter. There's people that are. That, that do their social business in one or, uh, one or two platforms. You have to be accessible to those people where they're at. And if you have the ability to order from a Facebook, if you have a, you know the ability to order through uh, a, a mobile device, a texting program or something like that, that that's where the, 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 the use or the ease of the platform comes into. So I think 
I think that probably answers that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, one more question. One more thing I'm curious about. Then we can start to wrap things up. Uh, so right now we're seeing the the big the hot thing is online ordering, creating that path, that path of least resistance. Uh, what do you think the next big thing is? If you had to, uh, from your executive position, look and gaze into the future, uh, what where do you think the industry is going? You know that is a great question because, in all honesty, Eric, it's things change so fast and they come and go, you know, when you just, when you see something that you think is the next biggest thing before you know it, it's already gone and yeah. something moves in front of it. I, I think, I, I think again, to your point earlier, I don't know exactly what the next big thing is, but I know whatever it is, it's going to be something that makes our lives easier mm-hmm. or at least appears to make our lives easier. And it appears to that segmented group uh, audience that, that, is that we're going after it makes their lives easier. Mm. So I still think the growth going forward is digitally. I, I know for a fact it's digitally because, because people want to be served information that is relevant to their lifestyle, that is relevant to their way of living, that is relevant to their taste buds, if you will, in the restaurant business and the industry. They don't want to, they don't want to waste time with, with information that's not pertinent to their life. So, so knowing your customers if, if is probably the easiest way to look at it is, is if I constantly come home to Eric's Bar and Grill and I'm a loyal customer fan of yours, I have a custom mobile app of yours, you have online ordering in it, it's, it's frictionless for me, I know how to use it all, and you see that I come in based on the loyalty program and I constantly buy cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers. The last thing I want to get from Eric's Bar and Grill is a special on your salads. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a salad buyer. Cool. Awesome. Um, and, and I think I think that targeted messaging and, and understanding the analytics of your customer is, is only going to get better. So segmenting, really like getting more robust segmenting and really customizing the experience to each in particular uh, user is what I'm hearing from you. Is that safe to say? It's, that's what I'm saying, but it's what the, it's what the consumers are saying is, we love to get information. We love to get specials. We love to understand what's going on, but make it pertinent to my my purchasing habits and my buying history. Mm. So does Total Loyalty Solutions allow you to customize and target and get robust with building specific lists and adapting the service to each customer? Is that a direction you're going? Are you there? We, we have multiple platforms that track multiple activities based on whatever level of a product or service you're buying with us and we can customize programs based on what what a, what a merchant's looking for and in a lot of cases again I, I i've been in the business and i understand it and i live in the business every day of the week and and we want to try to find the path of least resistance for not only the owners or the entrepreneurs out there we may all want the grandiose pie in the sky stuff but basically if, if we're if we know as a, as a company that our consumers want to have information fed to them that's integral to their lifestyle, then we're going to do the best we can to put a plan together to make it as seamless and as easy and frictionless for the merchant to be able to, to, to take advantage of that from an ROI standpoint. Beautiful. And, and I think if you look at a custom mobile app platform and you look at online ordering and you look at some kind of retention or loyalty program, that everybody has their own little nuances based on what they think they want. But the more they start looking at some of the data that we may have to say, hey, you know what? Where we've got a customer who's doing a, uh, a digital punch card, and every punch is worth ten dollars. And once you get to a hundred bucks, you get twenty dollars off your next meal. 
Well, you could say it works great because we have statistics that show on average that there's $26,000 in revenue generated just from that feature. So, so with that said, there's a lot of different nuances that are available that are kind of like set and forget it, if you will. Once we come up with a plan of action, then we can, we can deploy a, a platform to a merchant. And I do say set and forget it because merchants don't want to be bothered with it. Awesome. Anything we haven't touched on up to this point, something that you're hoping would cover and now's your time to, to, to drop it on us before we say goodbye. I just think that, 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 that any entrepreneur out there, any business owner out there, any person in the restaurant industry out there needs to take a good hard look at what they're doing. And I, I mean, it's just, it's just because it's not me talking. It's what the state of the, the state of the customers are talking mm-hmm. and they're telling everybody on big scales what they want, and how they want it. And, and a lot of times, you know, you go into places like, hey, I don't need that. I've been doing this for 15 years. And, and I think you just have to take that old school mentality off for a short period of time and, and kind of see what's available and what are you missing. We all know the industry trends on, on online ordering, for example. You know, if you're, if you're an independent business, you're not in the space, even, even in a basic level, you're missing potential revenue opportunity. And, and this, again, this isn't Mark Wilson educating Eric or Eric telling me anything. The industry says that on average, the, the average online order transaction value is 25% higher than, than a call in order. So, so as an, a business person, I'm saying, wow, if I got an average ticket of 50 bucks and all of a sudden it's 25% increase, where does that money go? Yeah. I take the food cost out. you got pure profit. Yeah. And, uh, I think you kind of touched on something earlier that, uh, a lot of people think is the old school set of the old school mindset of, you know, that's maybe outside of my reach. Like only the big, the big companies are using this. It is becoming increasingly more accessible to, to leverage this type of technology because of companies like total uh, loyalty solutions. So, uh, definitely open your eyes and, and see what's out there. Uh, it may be within your reach. And if somebody is interested in what you had to share with us today and they wanted to, uh, leverage more direct marketing, uh, What's the best way for us to connect with you to learn more and to, to see what you guys are doing over there? Yeah, the best thing to do would just to be go to our website at www.totalloyalty.com and take a look at it. There's a couple tutorials on there, some great testimonials on there. There's a place where we can do a little Q&A. You can reach out. You can have a demo done. But, but that is the first spot to start, I would suggest. And if you head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash mark. Wilson, I'll have the links over there for you to make it easy. And uh, Mark, uh, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to share your story, to share your advice as as a past restaurateur. Uh, some great nuggets in there, and plus uh, just your insight uh, on being a leader and an authority on direct marketing uh, and what's happening with technology and how we can be using these tools. Uh, it was a, a great conversation. I'm, I'm so glad we made it happen. And uh, I guess there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Well, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Mark Wilson. Some great advice on scaling a business. And I love that advice on just getting in there, getting your hands dirty, and showing people the standard to which you expect them to work. And honestly, nobody will ever work harder for your business than you will. So you got to get in there. You got to show people the 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 tone the the standard at which we you expect them to work they won't they won't exceed that maybe on a rare occasion they'll exceed it but they'll absolutely never uh, know what to aim for if you don't show them so get in there show them what to do uh, show them that you won't 
ask them to do anything that you're not willing to do. That is so powerful. I love that piece of advice and just uh, the emphasis on growing your middle managers, those managers and uh, GMs and uh, providing opportunity for people. And your restaurants are literally, uh, they, they exist in this world to create those opportunities for people. So grow at the rate at which you're growing your people and uh, never underestimate the value of just really developing and, and grooming these people and providing them the work ethic and the, the values they'll, they'll need to be successful in life. I love it. Um, uh, great advice too on just uh, kind of where uh, we've not necessarily adv- advice, but kind of an aerial view of uh, where we can we've come with direct marketing uh, and where we are today and, and where we're heading and uh, the power of online ordering and uh, using mobile apps to push notifications directly to your people. Really interesting stuff. If, if you guys are interested in this and you want to learn more, uh, because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, Mark and Roddy uh, hooked us up with one month free services from Total Loyalty Solutions if you use my links or you make sure you mention Restaurant Unstoppable when you're setting up that demo. So head over to www restaurantunstoppable.com slash Mark Wilson and in those show notes on that page I'll have a link to Total Loyalty Solutions plus we got a special phone number you can use uh, this number if you want this is a unique phone number so you have to use this number if you want to get that that free month of service that is 484-577-2176 or just use that number if you have any questions or uh, interests, uh, use that number. They'll hook you up. And uh, thanks again to Roddy and Mark for uh, hooking you guys up. Uh, So I think that's all for today. Like always, guys, please know I want your suggestions. I want your recommendations. Uh, If you're you're struggling with something, let me know. I'll get an expert on the show. I've already had a couple, uh, a lot, actually, uh, a decent amount of emails come through on the past couple weeks of people... uh, giving me some leads, giving me some recommendations. And uh, I haven't been able to act on these leads and recommendations uh, yet, but I am making an awesome list. I'm out in Thailand. I'm getting settled out here and I'm trying to get caught up. And when I uh, get that buffer of work underneath me, I'm going to start redirecting my attention to uh, really taking this thing to the next level and going after people who can uh, answer your questions. And hopefully we can really make this more of a, a fluid and dynamic uh, podcast where I'm reacting to what you guys need and want. So that's kind of the vision of the future. And I've got a few other things I'm not really quite ready to announce yet because I don't know if it's possible, but I hope it's possible, but I don't want to promise anything I can't deliver. So anyway, cool things happening. I can promise you that. Um, all right. Thanks for sticking around this long, guys. I love you all. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>